CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to the Coin World Podcast. We are so delighted to be back here with you today. You may recognize this voice. It's Jeff Stark speaking, and I am joined as usually by... I'm Larry Jewett, and I'm enjoying hearing you speak because that means we've got a great show planned for today. We've got a brand new sponsor on board for the next few. We'll be talking about that coming up in just a little bit right now. But it's good to be back. Apologize for the brief hiatus that was taken. But, you know, it's one of those mental health things. You know, one of us was on vacation and the other was was mentally on vacation and wasn't able to uh, put it all together. So we're back on track here. and We're glad that you're back here with us for the Coin World podcast. Absolutely. I did take a little vacation, but I couldn't be gone even a week without doing some numismatic stuff. And I was very fortunate to attend a talk by Stephen Ray Feller on Camp Money of World War II that was here in St. Louis at Washington University and ended up spending the day. We got there for a lunch Ended up getting home at you know ten o'clock at night after having dinner, and in between I got a great update on the Newman Numismatic Portal, which is housed at Washington University as well. The namesake Eric Newman, being a the late Eric Newman was a Washington University student back in the day, and that's where his museum opened. I want to say in two thousand seven. Uh, the museum has since closed, and and Newman's collection has been sold to benefit the Newman Family Foundation or Newman Educational Foundation, I think it is. Uh, an offshoot of that, of course, being the Newman Numismatic Portal. It was really cool to see, and I didn't write this down, and maybe I should have the name of these machines, but the the portal is availing itself of. Uh, some recent donations to the Washington University libraries. They have these fantastic photo scanners, if you will. They're, it's basically high resolution photography that turns, that digitizes printed publications and, and it can even, some of them can take, you know, photos of three dimensional objects. So that's a little trickier. There was just a, a small number of us got behind the scenes, and it was really super cool, though. One of these machines, 150 megapixels a shot ago, each time you take a picture, and, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's sort of stunning to think of the evolution, the leaps and bounds in technology when 10 years ago or, or so, it, you know, it would have taken a a whole CD or something to hold that size up picture. I, I don't know exactly, but I'm old enough to remember when we used floppy disk and those little small three and a half by three and a half disk and, and all that. 
And to go to this situation where there's a six-figure-plus machine and it's grabbing images, they had taken images of at the libraries, they're like maps and art prints and other things. And the software that can then stitch them together and do all sorts of crazy stuff. It's really super cool. And it's way beyond my understanding. But that was cool. And I think the other thing that was cool, the other newer machine, so they both got, they got these two new machines in like May and June, I want to say. The other one has two cameras on it. It's 100 megapixels only quote-unquote, each camera shoots the opposite page so you can have two pages open at a time on like a bound publication or something. And it's just amazing to see what can be done nowadays. And of course, this wasn't a, I did have to ask, was this a donation exclusive for the portal? And no, it's not. But the portal uses it as much as any of the other constituents there, the portal does have a machine that also is a scanner that a smaller one that they use a lot. That's like sort of their, their, I don't want to say exclusive machine, but it, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a tabletop desktop type small thing. And then these other two ginormous things have their own almost sections in the room. They're so big, but it's really cool. And, and for somebody who, you know, loves numismatic information, it's really exciting to see how that's developing and to get that behind the scenes look on the portal and, and how technology is, is fueling its growth. There was something like 10 terabytes of data added each year now. That's the pace they're on. So that's just insane. But it's a really super cool thing. And if you haven't used the portal, check it out. And of course, the, the Newman Foundation does more than just the portal. Right, Larry? Yeah, definitely. And they do so much for this. But, you know, when I think of the portal, I think of the, the way I benefited from this mostly is through their offerings periodically of the Newman Numismatic Portal Symposium. And it's good timing because the next symposium is coming up November 17th through the 19th. And of course, you can find out more at their website and that can tell you a little bit about how you can get involved with it. But they've got some of the courses that are going to be offered up there. Some of them are really interesting to me. There's one, Kevin Vinton's doing one about the the Sydney Martin collection, which just recently sold over at the Baltimore show. Cats on Coins is another one that's going to be happening. We've also got some of the interesting things that you see, Flight of the Condor, and that's, of course, about the British Condor tokens. And there's some, some neat things on there. We invite you to check that out November 17th through the 19th It's when it's happening. And again, it's a great opportunity for you to expand your knowledge because like the Coin Coin World Podcast, they, you know, expanding knowledge is primarily what it's all about. But we want to welcome into our program for in the month of November, our good friend, Steve Davis. And Steve has some information to share with us right now. We're talking to Steve Davis of Numismatic Auctions, LLC, about the Big Auction 67 coming up. Steve, tell us about some of the special items that bidders could find in this sale. Sure, Larry. We have a wonderful selection of U.S. type featured in this sale. We'll go into some detail on that. I have an old-time specialized collection of cap bust and drape bust coinage. The gentleman that assembled 
a number of coins from half dimes to half dollars and and a small group of dollars as well. He collected by die variety and he had an incredible eye for surfaces and color. And those two things go hand in hand with collectors who really have an appreciation for early U.S. coinage and originality. Those two factors really play into this collection that we're offering. And there's just a number of wonderful pieces in there, including some rarities up to R6 and R7. And the condition range, anywhere from collector entry-level grades all the way up to Choice Hunt Circulated. So there's a broad spectrum of available items for people to bid on. And you don't have to be a multimillionaire to buy these coins, but there are some really high-end pieces in there as well. That's great to have such a variety like that. So we invite everyone to check out these and all the more items that are available at NumismaticAuctionsLLC.com where buyers and sellers have connected since 1973. Thank you, Steve. We're looking forward to that one as it's going to be coming up here real soon. We'll give you more details on auction 67 from Numismatic Auctions, LLC. On the subject of auctions, though, there's a very special auction that's happening probably within a few hours when we're talking here. And that is on Saturday, November the 5th. Our good friends down at Gulf Coast Coin and Jewelry, Mike Joyce and family, they recently endured the Hurricane Ian that hit so many numismatists, and they were right there pretty much at ground zero, had a lot of damage to their buildings. But even though that they went through a lot of these situations where personally they were affected by it, they're still thinking about how what they can do for others. And they've got a helping hands auction that's taking place on November the 5th, where they've got several, almost a thousand, I think, a thousand items that are going to be offered. It's called Helping Hands for Hurricane Relief. It's a benefit auction. It's going to benefit the people down in that area of southwest Florida that were hit hard by this hurricane. So uh, there, there's items. I mean, it goes beyond just coins, but it's just the idea that they're giving back to their community here to help make things a little bit better. I mean, you got to give them a shout out for that. You may have seen some of the advertisements in Coin World or perhaps the newsletters, but just really a great variety of items being offered right there. And I, I want to give them a shout out for what they're doing to benefit their community and all those who were affected by Hurricane Ian. So thanks, Mike Joyce and the folks down there for taking the time to do this and helping others. Yeah, it's an important thing and good to know uh, we're always glad to hear of good deeds in the hobby. And there's been a couple of stories out there that we've tried to get and the folks just want to uh, keep in the backgrounds or you know not be as vocal about their good deeds. But there's a lot of good stuff going on out there. And you know, be part of that if, if you can when, when the opportunity arises. So I, you know, that's, we've kind of gotten everybody up to speed on some of the, the new things that are fun. I will add, it, this isn't really a fundraiser, but it was kind of a, a neat thing. Back on September 25th, the Simpsons, and and look, you know, I, I know the Simpsons is not um, what it was 30 years ago. And I didn't even have actually see the episode, but I, I heard about it later. But in that episode, Homer went to the Springfield Zoo and he used a 
an elongated cent machine, a smashed penny machine, to get a penny of, I think, not Lone Leonard or something, the Slow Leonard, that's who it was, Slow Leonard, the tortoise or turtle, whatever, in, in captivity at the Springfield Zoo. And, um, you know, of course, Springfield, there's, I think, 28 states in the U.S. with Springfield in them, although most people think, you know, it's Oregon because that's where Matt Groening, I think that's how you pronounce it, Matt Groening, is from. Well, so there is no real Springfield Zoo with Slow Leonard that, that you know, Homer uh, went to. But now there is a real Slow Leonard Springfield Zoo elongated scent collector. I want to say Rob Gilger. Actually, turns out he's in Ohio, one of the states with a Springfield. Rob designed or commissioned the design and production of Slow Leonard and the Simpsons elongated sense. And I got wind of this like almost a week ago and have ordered a couple. I've got three of them on the way, one for myself and one each for two friends that are Simpsons fans. And there's plenty of places you can hear about the million dollar coins trading hands and, and grading service upheaval and all this and that. But where else but the Coin World podcast are you going to find out about the Slow Leonard Simpsons elongated scent. You know, it's it's a three dollar item, nine fifty for for three of them shipped. And you know, I mean, it's 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 just fun, and we want to have fun here. That's what we're about, as you know from if you've listened before. Indeed, fun. We had some fun activity a couple of weeks ago. Uh, wife and I went to the fairgrounds over in Tampa because Jim Fitzgerald had a his show here, and it was a paper money show. And we had a chance to see some great things here. We saw some nationals from Florida. They got her all excited. One of them was serial number 004. And it's just like, okay, well, we'll get to that. But we had a chance to talk to a lot of the paper money folks about that side of the hobby and how things are going there. And I learned a lot just by spending a couple hours over there talking to some of these dealers that are set up here. And sometimes, you know, we get caught up in the shiny stuff and forget about some of these other guys here. But I'm I'm definitely not going to forget about them. We've got some great ideas planned for the 2023 season for some features in Coin World. So, it was just a great learning experience, a pretty relaxing atmosphere, that type of thing. But always diligent. We had good security there for that one, kind of the same security we see at the Collectorama show, which is coming up next week here. So it's just good. And of course, we're all gearing up for Orlando with the fun show coming in January. And that's going to be here before we know it. It's just like, I mean, you just can't turn around. And it seems like things get a little little bit slower. Pan was just recently happened. And you know, we just wrapped up the fifth. 50th anniversary or the 50th show from Baltimore. And it's just like, next thing you know, it's going to be here. The holidays are upon us. Halloween's already passed. It's just like, oh man, time really flies. But time means a lot to us in this particular podcast because we always like to go back in time, take a step back and see some of the things that helped shape this hobby to where it is today. One of my favorite parts, and it's, it's so much my favorite, it's more my favorite because you're the one doing it, and you always have some interesting insight into this week in numismatic history. What you got for me this week? Hey, so, you know, I'm going to be greedy and choose two. But they're both the same day, November 4. More recently, in 2004, what happened on November 4, 2004? I vaguely sort of remember that. I was 
very young in my time at CoinWorld then. That was the day that Professional Coin Grading Service, otherwise known as PCGS, certified its 10 millionth coin. Now, what that means is they had graded 10 million coins from inception to then, 2004. Now, where do we sit 18 years later? Almost exactly 18 years later, PCGS has now graded above 30 million coins. I don't know. They they used to have a tracker online. I haven't I haven't seen it lately, but yeah, they're they've more graded more than 30 million coins. So 20 million of those coins in the last 18 years. And you know, grading is obviously so important in the hobby and grading services, the you know, been in the news with the story of, of CAC developing their own grading service starting next year. And there's nothing more contentious, perhaps, than grading. So that was kind of fun to, for me to see that, hey, that was, that was a big milestone. But also that day, November 4th, a few years before that, in 1879, that was when Dayton, Ohio saloon owner Jacob Ritty patented the cash register. Now, <laughs> having spent so many years in Ohio, I could not slip past this little nugget of news without comment because Dayton was for the longest times home to the National Cash Register Company or NCR corporation as it's known today. Well, Riddy sold the rights to the cash register two years later for a thousand dollars. That cash register and NCR, the classic national cash registers, there's some gorgeous ones out there that, you know, just really Oh, they, you know, I, I saw one at a coin shop not too long ago, just as part of their decoration. John Patterson, yeah, John Henry Patterson out of Dayton was the founder of NCR and was very important to Dayton history, helping after the 1913 flood and all that. Well, you can't throw a stone practically in Dayton without hitting something related to NCR, Patterson, Charles Kettering, who worked there, you know, so on and so forth. It, it just it was fun to me to see that. And it and it's sort of one of those like McDonald's stories where the person who developed the company isn't the one who really took the company to great fame and riches. So there you go. Mr. Riddy, Jacob Riddy, a saloon owner, patented the cash register. We use them all the time, although they certainly don't look like what they did. What was that? 143 years ago, if my math's right. Yeah. If you even pay with cash anymore. I mean, I don't. I, I do. But I know a lot of folks like to wave the phone and do whatever credit card. And so... There you go. That's that's this week in numismatic history. 
And that's an interesting twist because that's just an element that expands upon money and society type thing. And, you know, without the development of that, you think about what that did and how that changed things and and the idea that, you know, the cash register, the till doesn't contain places for the half dollar or whatever the case may be. But the cash register has changed a lot. Of course, the company moved off to Atlanta after all their history in Dayton. And, you know, you see it's just like. Some there are some devices like elevators that you see that it's mostly one company. Same thing with cash registers. You mostly see NCR. Some other companies eventually got into it, but just the idea that that's how it began and how it's evolved. And I'm I'm pretty sure they still have a great display of cash registers in the Dayton area. So just really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, it was it was fun. You know, I that's I love these explorations into the history and. You know, I I learn as much, I think, as the listeners do. And uh, there's always something to talk about and there's always something to learn. And that's how it was when I looked at the This Week in Coin World History, looking at the November 6th, 1991 issue. 91 was just a random number generator year, but I was intrigued by a story on the front page which was a world coin focus. And the story was that the Royal Canadian Mint was beginning in 1992. So this was an announcement before it happened. They were going to change the fineness of their silver dollar. Their annual silver dollar product was going to be increased from 800 fine silver to 925 uh, sterling silver. And the article, it was nice to see a Canadian story on the front page for one thing. But, you know, because Canada is so prolific and there's such, you know, there's, I think, more collectors of Canadian coins or as many collectors in the U.S. as there are in Canada because of our, our population disparity. Canadian silver dollars are kind of a tricky thing if you're not well-versed in it. If I use the catalog, the Charlton catalog, to try to keep things straight, the circulating coin was, you know, from 1935 on forward was 800 fine. But then when the Royal Canadian Mint began issuing these collector versions in special cases, it, you know, this little like black credit card size thing, or then some just, you know, in, in little, like a, almost like a two by two in a sleeve. They made them of 500 fine silver, half silver, which is like, what? I mean, that's, you know, why, why that, that's not a standard metal for coining. Well, you know, the value of silver was such and and silver was sort of becoming scarcer at the time so they they made these half silver half copper versions well then beginning in somewhere between 71 and 91 they upped it to 800 fine which is what the silver had been of the 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 versions before that well in 1992 and I don't need to con- mean to confuse you with all the math, but 1992, then they increased it to sterling silver, which is 925 fine. Well, since then, looking backward, I want to say it was around 2011, they actually increased the silver again to 
pure silver, three nines or four nines fine silver. So the Canadian silver dollar, the annual silver dollar, not to be confused with one-off things, you know, they, they, they take a theme of sort of semi-national importance and they issue uncirculated ver today they issue an uncirculated version a proof version a colorized proof version and um I'm, i may be missing something but yes like for instance i think this year they did alexander graham bell and they've done other coins and other designs on that theme but this annual silver dollar product sort of the the baseline of of their numismatic program they keep changing it and so if if you're buying it you have to really be aware there's some years that there's a nickel version of the dollar and a half you know 500 fine silver version it really makes it tricky and you know you don't want to buy the nickel as silver and pay a silver related price when it's not really worth it and you certainly, if you're selling, you don't want to sell the silver as a nickel. So I found that interesting to dig deep into that. And, you know, it, it's sort of the minutia of the hobby in the sense of all these, this changing metallic value. But that's what, you know, the change and being aware of all those things, that, that education is important if you want to be able to take advantage of that. So you got to know about it. That, that was what stood out to me. How about you, Larry? Well, going to the letters page, there was, interestingly, there was a letter related to silver that has kind of an interesting letter. It's not your typical letter for sure. Letter starts out, less silver, more paper with a question mark. Then it goes, silver was used as early as 3000 BC on ornaments and utensils. Alexander the Great seized an estimated 2200 tons of silver bullion when he invaded Persia. About 150 years later, this huge mass had shrunk to about 90 tons. The loss of silver and the empire disappeared. And when he returned from Spain, Caesar brought gold and silver, which he started Roman currency. An expert of the history of the times, Dr. C.C. Patterson of the California Institute of Technology, believes that the loss of silver was a major factor in the decline of the Roman Empire. The loss of silver, the empire disappeared. Athens had a currency based on silver. At its silver mine in Laurion in Attica, the reserves became exhausted. The loss of silver, Athens ceased to be a world power. The United States issued silver coins from 1792 to 1965. At the latter date, the government still had 165 million ounces for its stockpile after setting aside the amount needed for redemption of silver certificates then outstanding. This past year, 2.5 million ounces were sold through three auctions of about 800,000 ounces each. Germany was soundly defeated by the Allies in World War I, with heavy reparations to pay for the victorious and a devastated industrial complex to rebuild. She started issuing more and more paper marks. Their value deteriorated rapidly. It finally took a wheelbarrow full of them, printed only on one side to save ink, to buy a loaf of bread. The result was disaster and Hitler. Finally, what do we now have to look forward to? The answer is obvious. Less silver and more paper dollars. That's from Stephen Sanford of West Palm Beach, Florida. Another topic that drew more than one letter, and this was regarding the ANA's decision to have their show at the 104th Convention at the Detroit, Michigan area. And it says the, the first letter is going to sum it all up. There were some in favor. There were some against. 
but it says ANA reviewing selection. I feel I must respond to the recent Coin World article, Dealer Wants ANA to Move Detroit Show, wherein Florida coin dealer J.H. Klein is reported to be campaigning for the American Numismatic Association to move its 104th anniversary convention from Detroit, Michigan. The ANA Board of Governors and ANA convention staff are cognizant of the issues of security and attendance raised by Mr. Klein. However, his efforts are duplicating some of those of the ANA staff. Security, attendance, the size of convention facilities, hotel accommodations, banquet facilities, meeting space, shipping and receiving, and hundreds of other issues are examined by the ANA staff for every convention site. No ANA convention site is selected by the board unless it meets the association's criteria. In order to set the record straight, the ANA is scheduled to hold its 1994 convention in the newly refurbished and expanded Cobo Hall in Detroit and not the Renaissance Center, as was reported. While the board members appreciate Mr. Klein's concern, he's only echoing those of the governor's. The board, on several occasions, has re-examined convention sites and reconsidered locating the association's conventions for a variety of reasons. This is done after extensive work by the staff and a thorough review of all the facts by the board. That's precisely what's occurring at this time. And that letter came from Edward C. Rochette, the president of the ANA at that time in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And there are a few more down here. Say no to Detroit. A guy from White House, Ohio, near Toledo said, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, leave it alone. So, you know, you had some pros and cons of that. And that's just what what it goes like. That's just how it was. And it was interesting to see how people were moved to one opinion or the other based on what they believe. Yeah, it's funny. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? I mean, it's the show location is always a bone of contention, always subject to debate, regardless of, you know, how things go. And and look, we had Larry Shepard on one of these shows about a year ago, I think, actually. And when we talked, you know, he, he talked about, he explained the factors that go into it. And we don't have to like it. You know, but it certainly makes sense and it's it's understandable. You know, I'm looking forward to Pittsburgh next year because, you know, we were supposed to go there in 2020 and that didn't happen. But, you know, there's there's enough now, I think, in Rosemont that and and we're so busy at shows, it kind of almost doesn't matter. Because, you know, you're barely outside of the convention for that, for much more than, you know, just to grab a bite to eat, you know. So anyway, that's fun to see, to see that. Is there something I'm forgetting? I think there's something I'm forgetting. The only thing I can think of, and I'm hoping you do forget it, and that's the trivia question from a couple of weeks back, because I honestly, I don't have an answer ready. So, I mean, I didn't do my homework. I didn't do the part. Been working on a lot of special projects, wrapping up 2022 and getting that done. So trivia then becomes truthfully trivial to me. So that's if you've got it, bring it. If not, I'll give you a pass on this one and we'll get it next time. We'll we'll kick it to next week. I'm going to give you a, a week off. Oh, bless you. We're a short episode this week, but we're back. We're here. Give everyone another week to think about it. Yeah, just we're working hard to get some some things 
some good guests in place. If you have any ideas, uh, suggestions, please reach out to us. And I think contact information is, you, know, you can find that at the Coin World website. If that's not easy for you, just spell J-S-T-A-R-C-K at Amos Media, A-M-O-S Media.com. Larry Jewett, the same, L Jewett, um, J-E-W-E-T-T. Send us a note. We want to hear from you. We thank you for listening. We're always delighted to talk with you and learn from you and hear what little bit we've learned with you. And we appreciate your support and your continued listenership here. We also appreciate Steve Davis and the folks over at Numismatic Auctions, LLC. And we're looking forward to the excitement of Auction 67 that's coming up from them. We appreciate their continued support podcast here. But we've got a lot of great things happening right here. And the holidays are going to be adding to the hustle and bustle right now. But Always a good time to step away and take a look at your collection. Think about what you might want to add to it and let those know who consider you hard to buy for that there are some things that you could use for your collection. So let them know that it'd be great. I mean, you can really solve the the issue. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and advocate for a few things for my family. They may not understand what they are, but they'll learn and they'll just start listening to us, I guess. So I want to keep pushing that collection forward. You know, it's not too early to start making these 2023 New Year's resolutions. And my resolution is to devote a little more time each week to my collection because I get so much enjoyment out of it. And it's so refreshing every time you step away from it and you feel refreshed and get back into whatever the challenges your life may have. So that's what my personal experiences is. It may not be for you, but you know, just make sure that you understand the importance of a balanced lifestyle that includes, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is what they say. And I'm not interested in turning dull at this point. So... That's my final thought right there. I want everybody to have the most out of this particular. We've got some great guests lined up, but we could always use a few more, like Jeff said. So in the meantime, we're going to leave you for this one. Thanks once again for listening. In the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.